Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 389. Today is October 31st, 2022. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Today's episode, we're going to do a market review. Before we do, just a couple things I want to mention. First off is, I know I've been gone for several weeks. I appreciate your patience. I've had a relentless travel schedule, and combining that with the really extreme volatility in the markets, I just haven't had any time to podcast. So I appreciate those of you that patiently wait for future episodes, but don't forget, you can always sign up for my free blog notices. And so anytime I put out an alert or a blog post, and it's much easier for me to do that than it is to create a podcast. So anytime I put one of those out over at investablewealth.com, if you're on the mailing list, you'll receive a notification. And even though I haven't been able to podcast here in the last, I don't know, three weeks or so, I know I've put out at least maybe three or four blog posts. So if you want to stay in touch with me and know what's going on, that still remains the best form of communication. And then also I want to mention about the upcoming Personal Economic Unconference to be held in Las Vegas. Some people have asked me, was I trying to pull an April Fool's Day joke in October? And no, I'm dead serious. I'm definitely going to be having a meeting or a meetup in Las Vegas. And I like the idea that April Fool's Day so much that I looked at the calendar. I was planning on doing this sometime in March. But you know, April Fool's Day this year is on a Saturday. And so I can't think of a better time or a better place to celebrate April Fool's Day than to be on the Strip in Las Vegas. So there you have it. There's the date that weekend, April 1st in Las Vegas. More details to follow, but there won't be many details because, as I've said, this is an unconference. There'll be no keynote speakers, no registration fees, no name tags, no PowerPoint presentations, no vendors trying to hustle and hawk stuff that you don't want to buy. But what it will be will be personal and one-on-one meetings and a celebration of not only the free market, but also April Fool's Day. So, hey, on to the stock market. The volatility and the day-to-day and weekly switchbacks that we've been seeing all year are not letting up yet. If you're following my blog post, you know that I've been selling, and I've pretty much whittled down my positions now to where I'm holding small and mid-cap indexes, along with a pretty strong concentration in energy and oil stocks, and then there's a couple straggler cats and dogs in there as well. Now, the reason that I've sold my positions is not that I'm worried so much about a total big further drawdown on the market. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. And while I wasn't worried at any time prior to September about one of these big sell-offs, but now that we've seen a major deterioration in the technicals and the fact that multiple times we've gone down and tested those long-term moving averages, and the fact that consistently all year we've seen lower highs and lower lows, will those events cause me to reassess the likelihood of further deterioration in the market conditions where we could see another, you know, 15, 20, 30% downside from the lows of just a couple weeks ago? From a probability and a statistical standpoint, that wasn't in the cards until we got those lower lows. And I think the probability of us getting that severe of a downturn is still unlikely, but again, much more probable than it was just, you know, a month or so ago. 
If you're following along at the blog post and those charts that I put out there, one of the reasons that I remain more optimistic than most people is because I have a long memory, I've been trading for a long time, and I've studied the history of the markets. And we know, just from a probability standpoint, that it's very rare that the stock market breaks down below and significantly below for a significant amount of times below its long-term moving average. It does that on occasion, and we always remember those really negative events. That's the dot-com bubble in the 2000s. That's the financial and housing crisis in 2008, 2009. Those are the big downturns that everybody is fearful of, and whenever we go into any type of a correction or an economic slowdown, everybody immediately thinks that we're going to get those kind of conditions. But if you look at the charts, then you'll see that from a historical perspective, it's not unusual for the market to correct, to sell off, to get down to that level of the long-term moving average, and then to recover and bounce off of those levels. I still think that's extremely likely from where we are right now. And the main reason for my optimism is, like I've talked about many times in this podcast, the problems that are mostly strapping the economy right now are all policy decision-based. Now, while there could be a very severe global recession, I still think there could be the likelihood of a soft landing or a mild recession in the United States, and specifically in North America. Again, for the many things I've talked about in this podcast— about how resilient our economy is, and especially right now, the major problems and crises that are driving not only supply chains, but also the rampant inflation, a lot of those products are abundant in the United States. Abundant to the fact that we can not only meet our own needs, but also that we're able to export. I did a video many months ago, I think I called it something about global choke points, and those main choke points are where all the inflation's coming from. Energy, food, and military defense systems. Those three factors are the primary reason right now why developed countries like those in Europe are seeing major inflation because they're spending so much more money on food, energy, and especially now weapon systems. And then in the less developed nations, particularly those like, for example, in Africa, they're not investing as much in weapon systems but the inflation and the availability of things like energy and food are just at extreme draconian levels. And while all that is horrible for the rest of the world, the United States is a dominant producer and supplier of those three choke points. So that doesn't insulate us. It doesn't mean that the United States and more broadly North America won't have a severe recession, but it does create the likelihood that a global recession wouldn't be as bad here. You know, right now, a lot of people have been drawing analogies of our current situation and our current energy-driven inflation with what happened back in the 1970s with the Arab oil embargo. And yes, there are absolutely a lot of parallels there. I remember living through it as a kid. I've studied it in terms of economic history, and I'm trying to apply some of those lessons learned from back then to where we are right now. But where I see a bigger parallel to our current situation is the immediate years following World War II. So I'm talking about like 1946 to 1950. A very similar situation to where you had a country and a whole world coming out of fighting. A huge war that put everybody into major debt. Many economies were destroyed. And then overnight, once the war was over, you had millions of people coming back into the civilian labor force. 
and a huge demand for products and services, and the old production supply chains couldn't keep up with consumer products because they were still trying to retool for making all the wartime products. So you had huge consumer demand, you had a lot of inflation, you had very low unemployment, you had major supply chain disruptions. Those are all very similar to what the world is seeing now as it comes out to fighting the war and the pandemic, which destroyed a lot of economies and put many, if not all, of the global economies into a huge debt situation. The takeaway from that post-World War II era from 1946 to 1950 that I want to kind of emphasize right now, and it goes along with the concept of maybe we won't get a major crash, right? I'm not opposed to that. I'm in a lot of cash. So if we do get a major pullback, and I'm talking at levels way down below the long-term moving average on the S&P 500, which currently right now is sitting at around 3,500. So I'm not ruling out the possibility that we couldn't see the market drop down to, you know, 3,300, 3,000, or maybe even less. That isn't out of the realm of possibility, given the market action and technical conditions we've seen combined with all the natural black swan events that could occur. So I'm not ruling any of that out, but I'm also saying that if you look at that period from 46 to 50, with the low unemployment, the high, with the high energy inflation and the high wage inflation and the rising interest rates and all these, again, similar things to where we are right now, what happened with the market there was once it came down from the 1946 high, there were multiple times over the next three and a half or so years where the market hovered right around its long-term moving average. So it would dip down below it, it would get a little bit above it, it would drop back down, and it vacillated back and forth like that for about three and a half years. The two big important takeaways there are that there was a floor put in, and it was the long-term moving average. It didn't get much below that level. But on the upside, it also didn't get back to that 1946 high, until, you know, well into the end of the year in 1950. And it stayed about maybe 15 or more percent below that 1946 high. So what I'm describing to you here is a range-bound market. And for that long three-and-a-half-year period, the market pretty much, just like a ping-pong ball, switched back and forth. It would go up 10 or 15 percent and then come down 10 or 15 percent. On a broader scale... That's also very similar to what we saw for on a much longer period from about the late to mid-1960s all through the 70s. Now, we did get some big crashes in there along the way, but if you look at it broadly speaking, the market really just vacillated and was range-bound for, I don't know, at least I think more than 15 years. I'm not predicting that that's the kind of market we're going to go into, but I do think that that is highly likely. So the bottom line here, the probability of something breaking in the system and making the economic conditions we're in right now much worse could definitely happen. It could drive the markets much lower. And on the other hand, I think it's even more likely that we go into a long, drawn-out, range-bound market. In either case, the best way to play either one of those events is to have a high level of cash on hand, and that's why over the past few weeks I've been selling off my positions and raising that cash. And in this situation, the risk is all about the upside. Because again, I want to emphasize here, the underlying economy in the United States is very resilient and doing very strong. And so, just some good headline news about a reversal in policy, like for example, if the Federal Reserve starts going easier, or if there's some kind of peaceful resolution in Ukraine, 
any of those policy-type decisions could result in a huge, big relief rally, which could send the market rocketing higher because there's so much cash on the sidelines, there's so much uninvested money, and there are so many people that are negative and in short positions that all the people jumping back in and then all the short covering could cause the market to literally be explosive to the upside. So that's the big risk of having a mostly cash position right now. Now, I want to emphasize here, the reason to have cash is to not be pessimistic, but it's the exact opposite of that. It's being defensive by having a strong offense. You're moving to cash so that you're liquid and ready to take advantage of any type of buying opportunity. And so my movement to a majority cash position is not based on pessimism, but to position myself to take advantage of whatever market condition we end up with whether it be a much larger decline so I can buy in near a low or to swing trade the volatility if we end up with a range-bound market. The key things to watch right now is both in terms of general market performance and then specific sectors. As far as general market performance, the S&P 500, although it's done very well over the last two weeks, it so far is failing at one of those key support and resistance levels that I talked about many months ago. I talked about that area of, say, 38.50 to 39.50. Well, the S&P 500 is failing at that level, which also was right about where its 100-day moving average is. So there's a great deal of moving average as well as horizontal resistance going on at this level. And the market so far has not been able to break above it on this run-up. The 50-day moving average is right around 3,800. And then the apex of the most recent double dip that we had, and I'm talking about the short one that occurred between the end of September and the middle of October, that W apex for that double bottom is right around 37, let's call it 37.80. So broadly speaking, if the market fails at that 38.50 level and then fails again at its 50-day moving average at around 3,800, then it's likely it would fill that gap and drop all the way back down to that 3780-ish level. Those are the key areas that we want to watch, especially as this week the Federal Reserve again raises interest rates. If it can hold at or above those levels, then we may be seeing some consolidation and we could still get some type of a more sustained Santa Claus rally, at least into the midterm elections and then into December, which traditionally is a good time of the year for the market because so much money is coming back into it. That upside can happen if we can stay above that 3750, 3780 level. On the other hand, if panic comes back in and we drop below that 3700 something level, then we want to watch and see how close we get back to those previous end of September lows. Those are the general market conditions that we want to look at. But specifically, in terms of putting together that tactical approach to where you either want to swing trade individual stocks or sector ETFs, then what we want to look for is what type of leadership is emerging on these rallies. And when I talk about leadership, I mean the stocks that are outperforming the general market. And under current conditions, it's either the lack of leadership or the poor quality of the leadership that we have that leads me to believe that the worst isn't over yet and we're going to see further problems as we get into 2023. It's just that we have a very poor quality of leadership. Because the stocks that are doing really well right now fit into a couple categories. They're things like energy stocks, 
which in and of themselves aren't bad, but if you look at any severe recession, you'll generally see that energy stocks do really well as you enter into that recession, and then the deeper the recession gets and as consumer demand falls off, gasoline and energy prices drop like a lead balloon. Because of the situation in Ukraine and the overall energy global energy crisis that we're having, that may not happen this time. That's one of the reasons that I've held on to my energy stocks. But at the same time, it is a reliable pattern, and if the recession gets deep enough, global demand will fall off, and that's exactly why OPEC is holding back on production. They see a weakness in overall global demand. Some other areas of leadership that we see are things like the aerospace and the defense stocks. And I recently sold my positions in those holdings because even though they're doing well up to this point, those are generally not long-term lasting sustainable leadership because the reason they're doing so well is because of all the geopolitical issues that are going on. And it's those exact geopolitical problems that are going to cause a black swan event, which causes something to break in the system. Another area that's done extremely well is consumer staples. Now, the problem with that area is that whenever we go into recession, the ETFs or people that need to stay invested in the market, they have to go somewhere. They can't go to cash. And so what they choose to do is to go into the least bad of the universe of stocks that they have to invest in. And so in a recession or in a declining consumer market, you want to stick with consumer staples, which are those type products, which are going to continue to have some kind of an inelastic demand. Doesn't mean they won't lose money. They're large, stable companies. They pay a dividend. And if things get bad enough, they just won't be the worst performers. Now, those stocks are doing pretty well right now. But if you look at them from a valuation basis, they're way overvalued. You know, we're in a market right now where so many people are worried about a recession and yet they're piling into these stocks and they're paying something in the range of 20 to 22 times earnings or more to own these supposedly stable and safe stocks. I think that's very unwise because if the recession gets deep enough, those valuations will come down. And if economic conditions improve, since those stocks are so overvalued, then the price has to come down as well. I think overall, it's a long-term lose-lose situation. Now, the other area where we are seeing leadership, or at least better relative performance to the general market, and that's in the small cap and the mid cap stocks. To me, that is more reassuring news. But as I've talked about before, that again could simply be because of people that have to stay in the market are going to gravitate to the small and the mid cap stocks. Because even though they're more risky than their big, you know, large cap brethren in the indexes, since they are smaller, they're more focused on the United States. So they're less susceptible to geopolitical issues and currency fluctuations. The other item that's probably driving people into the small and mid cap stocks is something that I've talked about for quite a while as well, and that's the favorable valuation. It depends on where future earnings come in at, but right now, that sector, the mid caps and especially the small caps, are trading at some of the best, and that means the lowest valuations that we've seen in over 20 years. Simply put, they've been sold off and they're so cheap that it's attracting people back into them. But that's it. When it comes to leadership, those are really the only categories that are emerging. And of those, it's really only the small and the mid-cap stocks that I think have long-term sustainability and would point to a brighter future. So what I'm saying here is generally, let's watch market conditions and let's see if the S&P 500 can get support well above its long-term moving average or if, in fact, it drops back down and either hits or goes below that moving average. That'll tell us something. 
And then the other thing is, very tactically and surgical-like, we want to look into the economy. We want to look for quality stocks where these companies are merging as leaders and they have a business model with future growth that can sustain those higher prices. Until something emerges, it's all speculation. So hey, in any case, again, thanks for your patience in me getting out delayed episodes. I'll do my best to get you some more content. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.